Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linke. In her first official season as the head coach of the UCLA women's soccer team, Marguerite Alazasa led UCLA to the D1 Women's Soccer National Championship. Marguerite Alazasa coached in the ECNL with MVLA. She now recruits from the ECNL at all of the big events. Marguerite Alazasa was part of a power-packed all-women panel at the ECNL Coaching Symposium a few weeks ago in Las Vegas. And Marguerite Alazasa is our featured guest on this week's edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. We'll hear from the great Marguerite Alazasa after this message from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country with a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. Welcome back to Breaking Line, the ECNL podcast. I am joined by somebody I feel like I talk to every week because she merits that. She is coming off a magical year. I mean, it's like a Disney type year. You know, you hear after winning the Super Bowl, I'm going to Disney. Marguerite Alzasa. I feel like you're going to Disney every day. That's the kind of year you had. You got married. You took over UCLA. <laughs> Really, from wire to wire, you took this thing down, winning the national championship. And let me first say congratulations, because my mom and dad always told me good things happen to good people. You are good people. But what a run you have been on, Marguerite. You have been asked this question so many times. How do you put into words what has happened to you? Well, first, let me just say it's good to see you in person, (laughs) Dean, because like you mentioned, we talk often and thank you just for the congratulations putting it into words like it's been a couple months now and I still don't feel like I have the words to truly describe that whole season as a whole experience and then that final just in those those critical moments like I have no words I was mostly in disbelief and now reflecting on it obviously I'm I'm just filled with pride not even for myself but for our team and for our staff and just I feel like now a few months later, I've actually been able to kind of enjoy it. During the season was a little bit stressful. You kind of get lost in the moment a little bit, but now reflecting on it, it just dawns on me how special that really was. I go to the well a lot with a book, because I haven't read enough books, but one book I did read was Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point, and I've been lucky enough to be on some really critical tipping points. My first job was in 89 with Anson when he was putting the team together and then the junior press officer for that team and then the 92 Olympics, the 94 World Cup. Your tipping points are amazing. Even before MVLA joined the ECNL, you essentially were part of a club that became part of the ECNL and then you coached into the ECNL. So 
before we get back to this incredible run, I want to kind of track all those steps. So remind us where you grew up, the club that you started with, and then when you started coaching in the ECNL before you arrived at Stanford and all the other great things that you did. Yeah, so I've been very, very, very fortunate. I consider Albertine one of my greatest mentors, if not kind of my go-to person in my soccer career, both as a player and now as a coach. I started playing soccer when I was nine or eight or nine years old. I played two seasons of AYSO. I was on the Teal Seals, Blue Gargoyles. <laughs> we were really making a splash. And then all my friends joined MVLA. And I kind of joined by just association because all my friends were doing it. And I had just barely dabbled kind of in soccer and knew I enjoyed it a lot. And I was so fortunate that Albertine was really there with me from the very beginning. So Albertine and I go back to when I was, I think, nine. Mm. Fourth grade was when I made my MVLA debut. And then I was so lucky because I stayed with MVLA my entire career. So from nine years old to 18 years old on the same team, same group of players. Albertine was my coach for those 10 years, which was incredible. And then I took like a one-year hiatus my freshman year of college. And then my sophomore year of college, I started coaching full-time for MVLA. So I had two teams. They were like 2002 and 2003 age groups. So now those players that I coached when I was 19, they're now juniors and sophomores in college, which is really cool because we play against a lot of them. I say this over and over and over again, but I really owe my entire career as a coach to my playing experience in MVLA because that's where I fell in love with the game. That's incredible. So just so people don't miss a a piece here. So you went to Santa Clara, played for the great Jerry Smith. So that first year you were probably all into academics. Yes, you can ask Jerry. I was a very good student. Okay, awesome. Cool. Just checking on that. Um, I did wink, by the way, but uh, she, she meant it and I believe her. So she was all in, took that year off. You're playing for Jerry Smith, which is an incredible mentor. And then you get right back in MVLA. So you were playing and coaching and being a student. Yeah, I don't know how I did that. And I look back on my time. I was a master of time management, but my day was very regimented. We would lift in the morning. I'd go to class. I'd go to practice. Then I would go to coaching, come back. I would drive straight to the library, do my homework for two or three hours, and then go home and do the whole thing over again for three years, basically. I think I knew at a young age that I wanted to be a coach or more so that I just wouldn't be able to step away from the game. Like I could never understand some of my college teammates that once we played our final game, they were just done. And they, you know, kind of took that next step into the real world, quote unquote, and and changed careers. But I just could never do that. And so the seamless transition was to just find myself in coaching. Well, and you're extremely humble. So what I need to point out is you weren't just any player. I mean, you were part of the U.S. youth national team system. I'm not sure. if Did you get a cap on the full national team as well? Or? Oh, no, I wish. Okay. That would have been cool. <laughs> um, no, my national team career kind of slowed down or whatever, I guess you could say, in high school. I actually tore my ACL twice in high school. And so that was, I think, a huge catalyst to start my coaching career. Okay. And credit to Albertine because when I was injured for those prolonged periods of time, he invited me to trainings, invited me to trainings of the younger teams in our, er, in our club. And so it was kind of like I was a coach in training for those two. I was basically injured for two years, almost straight. Sure. And so for those two years, I was kind of like, they used to joke I was like a mini Albertine. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's not a bad, that's a compliment right there. 
Is it not? I mean, are you are you kidding me? I mean, what a wholesome heart that man has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, yeah, he's like, like I said, my greatest mentor, but he's so much more than that to me. He's a father figure of sorts. He's, you know, a, a close, close, close friend. Yeah, he's incredible. All right, so just so I don't miss a step, so you play for Jerry Smith, and you're still doing all this great work with MVLA. Now it's ECNL, so we can talk about the merits of that in the next segment. But remind me what happened after Santa Clara. I know you probably stayed with MVLA, but when did you go right to Stanford, or was there a break in there? Yes, yeah, so there was about a two-year break, okay. I believe, where I was just coaching for MVLA. MVLA is kind of special in that a lot of our coaches will take a team from U7 all the way to U18. So I started my teams when they were in second grade when I was a sophomore in college. So by the time I graduated, they were, you know, 11, 12, kind of entering into that period of their development. They weren't quite ECNL. They were kind of our pre-ECNL teams. And then when I was, I think, 24, (laughs) I got got my first job at Stanford. And I did two club teams and assistant job at Stanford for about two or three years before I went down to just one club team to make things a little more manageable. But it's wild. So many people always ask me kind of what I took from Santa Clara, what I took from Stanford that has helped me be successful at UCLA. But I will also give a ton of credit to what I learned as a club coach. Well well said. And just so we're keeping track of national championship rings correctly you won how many at stanford as uh, an assistant coach and or associate head coach uh, just two just oh, <laughs> wow slacker just two and did you win one at santa clara too or no okay the furthest we made it was i think the quarterfinals okay because yeah you're you're much younger than danielle slayton when they won it and a uh, lot younger right you remind her of that i'm sure as well uh, <laughs> at some point in, in that whole gang that hopefully is going to bring a, a team to nwsl and that's for another day another topic as we're here with marguerite We're going to take a break and come back and talk more about her time in the ECNL and get back to that amazing run all the way to the national championship in her first year as the head coach of the UCLA women. The ECNL is pleased to announce Quick Goal as the official goal provider and partner for ECNL girls and ECNL boys, a new partnership created to support the growth and development of the country's top players, clubs, and coaches. At all national events, including national playoffs and national finals, the Quick Goal Coaches Corner will provide hospitality and social space for ECNL girls, ECNL boys, and collegiate coaches. Quick Goal will also be the presenting sponsor of the national championship winning ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys Coaches of the Year and the ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys Goals of the Year. Quick Goal looks forward to helping the ECNL continue to elevate the standards of youth soccer and provide more opportunities to players on and off the field in the coming years. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. It's my great honor to be hanging out with Marguerite Awazasa coming off a banner year, winning the national championship in her first season at UCLA. And I went to break talking about the impact that the ECNL has made, particularly during your work at MVLA. 
Can you put into words, you're here at the ECNL Coaches Symposium, but as you've seen the ECNL develop, because you coached in the ECNL, can you talk about the quality it brings? Yeah, I loved my time coaching in ECNL because just like you said, it's, it's really high quality, super competitive. We were able to emulate that in our home environment at, at MVLA because the players are super motivated. They want to play it for a national championship. They want to develop and they want to showcase their skills to hopefully be recruited. So I loved that kind of just inherent competitiveness, inherent striving for excellence. I, I enjoyed coaching young players that had that in them. And then it's also just so much fun, I think, going to these national events. There's nothing better in my eyes than when we go to the playoffs. Mm. It's so much fun. It's so enjoyable to see our players competing for something, kind of to really, it's like gut check time. You know, like you get to really see their character come out. And I love now on the flip side of that, going to these events and seeing what a great experience it is for the players. Yeah, that's so well said. And as you know, I also call a ton of college games where I feel like Marguerite, 90% of the rosters or close to that make up uh, or comprise of players from the ECNL. I'm not sure if you know the numbers for UCLA, but I really want to tie it back to MVLA at the risk of you missing a couple players. Did you coach some players that went on to big time colleges or even got some national team experience? I mean, even in my time as a player, I think at one time we had five or six national team players on my club team alone, which is mostly a credit to Albertine mm. and just his incredible incredible ability to one connect with players but also develop them and kind of get the most out of their um, abilities natural abilities so and then in MVLA we've been very fortunate that there's been quite a few players that have either gone on to play at some of the more notable schools the Stanford's of the world UCLA's even of the world but also that have that youth national team experience and like I said there's nothing better than just making sure that they have a home environment to come back to that's going to support their development. All right, so we talked about the fact that you played for Jerry. Of course, Albertine, one of your true mentors, Paul Ratcliffe, an accomplished coach, winning multiple national championships, producing multiple Mac Herman Trophy winners. Now, if I'm Paul or Jerry, I'm almost thinking like, man, why did we do this? Why, why did we create this superpower that just beat us and took home the national championship? I know they're not like that. <laughs> Talk about their reaction to the run that they had because uh, you played them both, right? Did you not play them both? We did, and... Uh, we beat Santa Clara, but we did lose to Stanford, so <laughs> Paul's still on my list for sure. Um, Jerry and I were laughing that we're going to have to have a trophy that we pass back and forth each year because I'm sure we'll play them many, many times. But both of them have been so gracious, and playing against them was just really special. Like, I don't think I expected kind of what a monumental moment that would feel like, especially when I played Jerry, um, just because I, I played for him. And... Obviously, he's done so much in the game and just like to have someone who's had such a successful career and such a long career and then for me to play against them in my first year was just really it was just so special, like very heartwarming. I think both of us were just kind of in awe of the moment. And then Paul, he just cracks me up because, I mean, if anybody knows him, he's so kind of even keel, very yeah. calm. And I was laughing because he did win, but he was out of his chair for most of the second half, which is an accomplishment <laughs> <laughs> yeah because he's like you he normally yeah. sits down that's right so he yeah. was out most of the second yeah, half most of the second half he was out he had his ipad going so that's I a felt, mini win yep i felt proud of that very good all right awesome we're here with marguerite alazasa and let's 
break down the season. Well, let's first break down the whirlwind because remind everybody, you got married. Like how, what was the timing of your marriage to coaching the team? Yeah, it was all in the same week. So <laughs> I got married on a Saturday and the Sunday prior was my first call with UCLA. In fact, the first communication I had at all with UCLA credit to UCLA. They kind of expedited the whole process so that I could come down on campus, interview everything before my wedding. Mm. And then they told me as that wrapped up, they said, don't worry, like we're not going to contact you before your wedding. Just like turn all your attention to that. We'll contact you after the weekend. Um, sure enough, that Monday coming up, right, like two days after I got married, we were in fact in, in Hawaii on, on our honeymoon um, when I got the call that, that I was going to be the next head coach. All right, and I mean this in 100% full respect, but tell us real quickly, who is Mr. Marguerite Awazasa? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so my husband, his name is Michael Bates. Okay. He is an incredible coach in his own right. We always laugh that. I don't think either of us could be with each other if we weren't, by our qualifications, good coaches. Mm -hmm. So um, he's he's fantastic. I, I call him my emotional support husband during this last year because obviously we went through so many changes, a lot of chaos kind of happening around good chaos but still a lot of change and he has just been my rock and um, he coaches right now for LAFC's Youth Academy. Okay perfect I don't mind that plug at all. All right so you start the season uh, at North Carolina Duke. Was, were those the first two games or did you have some games before that? We played I think it was our third and fourth game or fourth and fifth game. Okay I think. okay and who do you remember the teams that you played before you went so to? So we played Iowa. Okay. And then we might have played one other game, okay. and then we played Santa Clara. Okay. So we actually played Santa Clara, Duke, UNC in that order all the way. Wow, incredible. And I obviously got to call the game with Duke and UCLA, and, you know, Michelle Cooper's on one side. You had all your superstars on the other side, and it was an unbelievable game. You get the win, and then a couple of days later you go into Chapel Hill and get the win. Was that the point where you said, whoa, hang on, I, I got something, or was it a little bit later? Because that would be a good point to say, hey, I got something. It, it was a turning point in our season for sure. It mostly showed me the amount of grit and resilience our group had because Duke, we went up first, but then they tied right before halftime. We ended up getting a winning goal in the second half. But UNC, we actually went down. And um, so it was a, it kind of just showed their, like, ability to dig in and we said all year like we're going to be a team that's difficult to beat like we're going we may score a lot of goals whatever it is but it's like we're never going to go down without a fight and what I love is this year again kind of a storybook year like you mentioned that resilience is really the difference that resilience is what won us a championship so it's pretty cool. And then I feel like we can hit the fast forward and go, win, 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 win. and then we get to the, the game against UNC. Uh, you know, my sound effects weren't there, but you know what I mean. And lo and behold, you get down, you get down big. And they kept panning to you, and you're as calm as a cucumber. Bless your heart, because I think you admitted to me later that you really weren't that calm. And at one point, I think you even, for the first time in the season, had a little bit of doubt, just a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit of doubt. How did, how did you do it? I mean, how did you pull that out? Um, I, I've had quite a bit of time to reflect on it. And one, I think I was able to be so calm, even though, yes, I did have little seeds of panic in there for sure. But I was able to be so calm because I had a lot of trust. One, 
trust in our players, just that resilience they had. I knew that, like, in such a big game, they weren't going to go down easily. So it was like, they're going to find a way to at least make this a fight. I also had so much trust in my staff. I think I get to be so calm because I look down the bench and I know that whatever problem that's presented in a game, I have the minds next to me to help figure it out. So I never feel like on an island. I never feel alone. So that's huge. And then we really just put a ton of trust in our preparation because, as you know, we went down two goals in the second half alone. So it's not like we could call timeout and make a lot of changes. We had to just trust that we have prepared our players to kind of face that challenge. And what I love about it is the players mentioned afterward that when we went down 2-0, when they came together as a team, they basically said that. They're like, you guys, we've trained this. Like, we've trained situational play where we've been down. And so I think they gained a lot of confidence in that. And at the end, she was raising the trophy. Marguerite Alazasa, the head coach of UCLA, she is part of a special panel at the ECNL Coaches Symposium where they're doing a great job like everybody is as we celebrate 50 years of Title IX propping up women. And Marguerite Alazasa is very much, I would say, the poster for propping up women, which is a big role, but one that you're clearly embracing. We'll talk about that panel when we return for our final segment of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast with the national champion head coach of the UCLA women, Marguerite Alazasa. ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Puma has proven themselves as the fastest sports brand in the world, the fastest innovation, the fastest players, and the fastest products in the game. They're the perfect partner to complement the speed and talent of our teams. In keeping with their mantra of forever faster, Puma introduces the world's fastest boot, the Ultra. The only boot engineered for speed, the Ultra combines a woven upper with a lightweight outsole for direct forward motion, speed, and acceleration. It's the best in the game, designed for the best players in the game. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Dean Linky with one of my all-time faves, Marguerite Alazasa. And we're here at the ECNL Coaches Symposium. And I went to break talking about the fact that the ECNL, like everybody, is doing a really good job of supporting women, propping up women, giving women empowerment and the opportunity to lead teams. And as part of that is a really cool panel where you'll be on the panel, Meg Nemzer, who I think is a you're going to have a bright future at Maryland after great success at Rutgers, where she worked for Michael Neal. You worked for Paul Ratcliffe. You were coached by Jerry Smith. So an interesting tie-in as she turns Maryland into a power. Maybe can't do it as quickly as you did at UCLA, but she's going to be there. Tiffany Roberts, Ronnie Woodward. And I get the sense, Marguerite Alzasa, you take these opportunities very seriously when you can share ideas and talk about successes, talk about failures, talk about ways to get better with other powerful women. 
It's something I take very seriously. It's something I'm very proud of. Um, and it's something that I acknowledge is a challenge. And it's definitely an area for growth, I think, just across the country and honestly in the world with just embracing women's sports. And what I love about this panel is, is talking about women as coaches and how we can support them, how can we facilitate their growth as coaches and how we can keep women in the game. When you saw Julianne Sitch, what she did on the men's game, how does that story shake you? Is that something you would ever consider doing? Oh, if the opportunity came about, it's it's not something I would shy away from. When she won, it was about a week prior to us winning, I think. Yeah. And I had the biggest smile on my face. I think what she has done is so incredible, not just because she's kind of making her mark in the men's game, but like me, she was first time head coach also, or like, you know, kind of taking that on in her first year at, at UChicago. So I am inspired by her. I've gotten the chance now to meet her and hang out with her a bit and she's incredible. And I just love that she's, she's showing that women are capable of coaching men. And what's really cool too is um, I think she put to bed a lot of concerns that maybe her team wouldn't respect her. And it, it showed that they did, and they had a lot of trust in her. They loved her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they loved her the way yep. your team loved you afterwards and will continue to love you as you, you try to do it again. You know, the other thing that I find inspirational about where soccer is, and ECNL is very much a part of it, uh, but I think about the API coaches community that you're involved in, I will say that uh, the job that Nicole Hercules did at the United Soccer Coaches Convention was one of the most amazing nights I've ever been a part of, and you know, now you see Kia McNeil getting things done and you see Marsha at American. And I mean, there's so many other black coaches as well or Asian-American coaches uh, as well. And they're women, too. So that's that's also really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, a huge part of my identity is, is twofold. You know, one, my identity as a woman coach and then also as an Asian coach. And I've been blown away by the amount of support we've had um, in our API uh, coaches community especially just even little notes of encouragement along the way they mean so much and it is I think a really cool moment right now to kind of see the shift firsthand where um, minority coaches are being embraced and I hope that they continue to be uplifted because I think we've shown um, just how successful we can be and how inspiring we can be. My next question has not one but two caveats and I'm afraid to say both of them because I don't want this to happen to you, and I'm glad to say it hasn't happened to me. But the first one is I like to be everywhere. I like to be a part of everything. And I've commented to you, particularly off air, about how you've been everywhere, and I worry about you overextending yourself and that type of thing. So I, mean, I guess that is all in sort of one question. It seems like you, at least right now, uh, no, there's two, want to say yes. The other thing is you're coming into the Big Ten, and I've been with the Big Ten Network since day one. So I don't want you to lose any of that accessibility as you come into the Big Ten as well, Margaret. You still got to be there for me. So tell me you will and tell me why you will. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I look at these as opportunities to share my story and mostly share how many people have supported me along the way. I'm under no impression that, that the success I've had is all because of me. 
my mentors, I always want to try to give them shout outs because they mean so much to me. And I hope that by me sharing my story, it will open opportunities for, for other women or for other first time coaches or, or first time head coaches, excuse me, or for other um, minority coaches as well. So I enjoy it. Um, I will admit I was, I, I hit a little wall about Fair. a month ago after the convention. I was a little tired. Me too. Um, but now I've kind of got my second wind and um, I'm just trying to kind of enjoy these moments as they come. Yeah, that's just you just being honest as well. I definitely can't. The Saturday night, I literally couldn't put two electrons together between the ears or whatever. But a couple days later, we're back. We're back at it for sure. All right. Here's the question that everybody's asked you. It'll be the last question of the day. Actually, it'll be the second to last because I do want to ask what those four letters ECNL mean to you to close it out. So two questions here. The first one is now, you know, the spotlight is on you. I mean, it is glaring on you. In fact, it's glaring on you right here, right now as part of the ECNL podcast, Breaking the Line. Have you already thought about what it's going to take to run it back and do it again? Yeah, that, that's the fun part, I think. What's kind of the beauty of college soccer, too, is it's not the same team. There's, you know, oh, like players are graduating, new players are coming in, and so every season is going to present new challenges. The good news is our team's super excited, and that was the one thing I was a little nervous about with them coming back. I mean, you play to the very end of the season you play in such an emotional game also like I could see how they would be a little tired or perhaps burnt out but they all came back raring to go they're excited about how much better we could be and that's I think behind closed doors what what maybe you couldn't see from the outside looking in is how much we didn't do this year and I thought we did extremely well we had some heroics you know we were very disciplined and we had a lot of buy-in and we had that just kind of inherent grit and resilience but I still think we have a lot of room to grow in the soccer part of what we do so I'm really excited for that you know we have a lot of exciting players still in our group and some of them feel like they didn't put on they didn't put their best for best foot forward wow. this last year so I think there's a handful of them that know they have a lot more to give and a lot more to show so I'm excited to see that that's incredible and because I know you as a player you're always thinking about that next pass or that next run as a coach you were thinking about that next move that's my way of saying I've given you enough time to think about what those four letters mean so we'll end with this when you think about the ECNL what does it mean to Marguerite Alazasa to me it's um, kind of a breeding ground for that next generation of players and that's that's what I love about it um, it's excitement too and that's how this game's going to grow is to continue to build the excitement around it, to continue to build the passion around it. And I feel like that's what ECNL is really trying to do. I want to thank you for always being so accessible to me on whatever platform, including this one, Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Margarita Alzasa, you truly are beautiful inside and out, and you deserve all of this success. Congratulations. Soak it in. Enjoy it. And thanks for spending time with us. Thanks, Dean. Good to see you. Thank you, Marguerite. I know the ECNL loved having you at the ECNL Coaching Symposium. Speaking of thank yous, I want to thank Andrea Wheeler and Sydney and Jackie and Christian and Jen and Doug and Jason and Ralph and the entire gang. Mary was at the Coaching Symposium as well for all that they do. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you in two weeks for another edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production.
ECNL, more than a league.